This is Unfilter, episode 256 for October 25th, 2017. CBS News confirms the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign helped pay for controversial research into President Trump's ties to Russia. The Washington Post first revealed the Democrats' connection to the research dossier that leaked back in January. It contained unsubstantiated claims connecting the president to Russian interest. President Trump questioned the origin of what he calls the fake dossier last week. He tweeted, who paid for it? Russia, the FBI, or the Dems, or all? Oh, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm on. Yeah, uh, Hi, everybody. Welcome again to Unfilter, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show by the news you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase. Over there is... Your name is Charles? Chuck? It's close. Chris! Oh! Yeah, the name tag helps. Yes. Hey, yes. buddy. Hey, man. Uh, so, this is the Glitch Edition. 256. 256. You know about the famous Pac-Man glitch? Yeah. Yeah, I do. In fact, yeah. isn't that what inspired that new Pac-Man game? Uh, it did. Uh, Pac-Man 256. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, uh, good call out, yeah. man. I um, I want to say off the the top of the show uh, that uh, I missed you guys a lot, and we missed you too. Uh, it's uh, I uh, full disclosure. I was in the beautiful area of the Mojave Desert. I was in Barstow, California, for the last two weeks. Your full disclosure. Uh, yeah, hey, you want to see it? Uh, and uh, unfortunately. I had two major bad events happen to me. Whoa, whoa, man. That's, no. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, one, my father-in-law passed away. Yeah, I knew that one. You knew that. Okay. The second event, which I don't even know you're aware of, I was uh, down there, you know, taking care of those kind of things. Fighting and I And I was watching, uh, you know, Los Angeles area television and news because I had nothing else to do. I had access to everything, and boy, I did not miss it. Uh, but <laughs> I was watching everything when they had a brief brief blip about the northern california wildfires and during that i saw a flash of my childhood home oh and i went into like 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 resourceful like got on my phone started doing some searching i was sure, like, sure. I was what's, like what's going on up there what right. stories can you find my childhood <laughs> home's gone burned up gone it is it was burned up by a uh did you go there no, no, no. California is huge, so it would yeah. have been like an eight-hour drive. Um, so I, I've had a real rough couple of weeks, and uh, you know, my father-in-law, he was uh, 24 years in the Army. He was a master sergeant. Uh, we spent many, many times sitting in front of the television uh, commenting on our politicians left and right. <laughs> Early on uh, filter. Yeah, he was he was not a huge fan of the Trump administration. Yeah, he, he had his feelings, but then again, he was the kind of uh, gentleman, kind of like myself, where he didn't really like any politician because he felt that they all lied and they all didn't tell the truth on either side. Funny how that works. And um, but he especially thought that you know the whole Trump thing was kind of like a big real- reality show. You know, it wasn't based on principle uh, or you know truth or, or you know track record. It, it was it was based on other factors. Um, but that being said, uh, one thing I've learned from this whole two, three week thing, and you know, I, I know that I might be a little raw today. Uh, I definitely was during the pre-show. I, uh, you know, 
I've gotten a lot of feedback on this show from uh, from co-hosting with you and also solo hosting that one time. And uh, one thing I'm going to uh, do more uh, and maybe not less of, and, and that is, you know, for me, I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. Uh, I consider myself me. And I'm really getting tired of all these labels because what happens is when we start labeling each other, we stop listening to each other. Because then you have all these bullet points stuck in your head, and that if anybody decides to challenge any one of those bullet points, they're not going. You're not going to hear them, or they won't hear you. There's no uh, respectful discord anymore in America, and sadly, uh, maybe there's some brief, you know, fragments of that. So, all I'm going to say here, you guys, and what I'm going to promise to do for you, Chris, and the entire audience, is I'm going to be me. And if and I and if I fully believe in my heart that is the way it is after the research and the things that I've done that's the way it is and that's what I'm going to say and if you and if you have a counterpoint maybe instead of attacking me or saying that I'm just wrong let's talk about it let's have a conversation about it maybe you can change my mind and maybe I can change your mind because at the end of the day we we need to respect each other we need to love each other because um, our time on this planet sometimes is short. And I know that I do not want to die knowing uh, that, you know, I didn't live my life to the fullest. So uh, that being said, Chris, I'm looking forward to the show immensely. And uh, it's good to be back. Well, now that is that's a, that's like a, that's like a, you should have like a that should be like a written speech, like a statement. There. That was good. That's good. Good chase. And you know what? Well, I'm I right there cute, with you. Well, there are cue cards. I'm dialed I was in. That's nice. It's nice <laughs> yeah. that guy just sits there and holds yeah, our cue cards for us. That's he really... writes them for every show. You know, I thought something that might make you feel a little better is perhaps if we start with a little cyber and let's make a game out of it. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. S- let's see if we can spot who's spending the money in this piece. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready? This ASL, is Let's do it. This is spot the cyber spender. Cyber spender. There's probably a lot more to do uh, than uh, we've done so far to truly get ready. Stemming cyber threats, what if your utilities were hacked? What happens if the power grid goes down? 10 News reporter Matt Boone was at a first-of-its-kind conference today about how... First-of-its-kind. Okay, there's your first clue. San Diego should prepare for such 21st-century attacks. Any hints yet? Any hints yet who might be spending the money on this piece? Uh, Must be. Well, this is San Diego, so maybe the military? The hint is actually in this. Oh, it's all about the military in the the grand scheme, but we'll get there. But everybody, everybody has to position themselves. So right now there's a big dash for making money, and everybody has to position themselves as an authority. And it's in the background of this photo. There's a company that's particularly interested in this. Uh, yeah, it's Qualcomm. Qualcomm. Hosted by one of San Diego's largest tech companies, the discussion was on one of our biggest threats, a cyber attack to our infrastructure. And the question, are we ready? We are as prepared as anybody and probably better prepared. That's retired Rear Admiral Ken Slatt. Of course, the Qualcomm logo is everywhere. Oh, yeah. We helped organize the conference. Because of the military presence here, that, are, that puts a pretty big target on our backs already. Full disclosure, uh, there's military presences <laughs> in lots of communities. Yeah. I mean, hell, Everett, Washington has yeah. a military presence. Mm-hmm. Seattle has a military presence. Right. Olympia has a military presence. There's yep. military presences pretty much in every yep. community, major That's community That's why it's a concern everywhere. Oh, God. You see, and this is why everybody has to position themselves as an authority on cyber right now. Uh-huh. And it's from it's from Qualcomm, where they have solutions to big oil, oh, with, yeah. where they have challenges, too. And then, of course, you have other companies that really need to get the word out there that they have something to offer for cyber as well. And uh, it's it's easier if you're maybe a little more established. See if you can recognize the next company that's going for the cyber profit. 
Meet the next generation of cyber. ASL. So if you think about the kinds of products that Lockheed Martin uh, Ah, yes, of a course. huge government contract. Of course, Lockheed Martin. They love that government they money. They want this cyber money. The so much. The products that Lockheed Martin builds, they're complex, interconnected, and they all rest on a basis of information technology, communication. They already have an in. Sensing. And so cybersecurity is critical to everything we do. Dun, 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 dun. Lockheed Martin and Georgia Tech are developing the cyber workforce. Yep, and then so they talk about how they're training the next generation of cyber... Lockheed Martin cyber warriors are training the next generation of cyber warriors. Other companies, like I mentioned, Big Oil, also have some skin in this game, and they have cyber threat intelligence analysts. Intelligence analysts starting to get some government terms in here. Every day I drive into work, I listen to the news on the radio. See if you can uh, guess. And I'm instantly put into a state of fear i know right <laughs> yeah that's what i, I mean, was seriously. thinking seriously it really and then yeah. she's so basically what the Try first music the first few seconds i uh, seriously and and unfilter the first few seconds of this are like how basically she just pays attention to the news and evaluate cyber threats well guess what your humble hosts do that too but yeah see if you can spot which company in big oil it's a big oil company that's All your right. hint okay big oil got it's it also putting their stake in the cyber money market i listen to the news on the radio because what happens in the real world actually impacts who may wait, want wait. to go out. Did you, did you notice? The they best? blurred out the Ford logo. Well yeah, they, done, they, too. Well, they, I think they just put tape over it. Oh, maybe. No, that looks like it's... Uh, it's like blue tape, I think. It could looked, be. Nice yeah. job. No, that's a blur. I can see Even the though this the is definitely a Ford Escape, yeah. but that's okay. Yeah. Who may want to go after our company. Yeah. Oh! Chevron. Oh, Chevron. Actually, yep. that looked pretty slick, by the way. Yeah. Oh, it's a well-put-together video. Really good time lapses. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and... Uh, but really, when you listen to what she does, she does nothing. I'm Jessica Lee. I'm a cyber threat intelligence analyst at Chevron. When I come into work, I begin looking at my hundreds of emails in my inbox that are my about God, the things that have been happening. Wow, that sucks. I know. I mean, first off, what about your rule? Uh, do you have any Outlook rules set up or something? <laughs> Get some filtering on that business. I, no, see, oh, one of the things wow. she's doing is she's observing the phishing attempts. Ah. Uh, because the big threat is that uh, phishing, phishing attacks are the big threat vector. Overnight, the different cyber incidents that have happened throughout the world, the different adversaries that have been active, or even predictions into what adversaries may want to do. So she looks at the news and sees what's been going on. Drives economies for a lot of different countries. Oh, that was a good line, actually. This line here, I think, is particularly good. Oil is something that drives... Oh, hold on. A little bit further back. Oil is something that drives economies for a lot of different countries. Yeah, there's like, uh, I don't know, Russia's one, (laughs) Saudi Arabia, U.S. Yeah, totally. Anything having to do with oil or natural gas resources, I take that information and I feed it to other teams so that they can make business decisions about how to better protect the company. So she watches RSS feeds and then she forwards it along to people. And like, she listens to our show. I guess. Obviously. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. She gets um, that email every Thursday. It's, the, it's about the, the video is another excruciating 45 seconds long, but I'll skip it. So why are all these companies fronting? Why are they all out there to uh, to try to get a piece of the money? Because there's something very important going on this week. As a matter of fact, there is a Senate hearing on defending the U.S. against cyber attacks. And the general position is we need more money spent. And I think my my theory here is this is John McCain's gift to the industrial military complex. This is his going away gift. 
Here is your next generation of profiteering. He meets today to receive testimony on the U.S. government's policy, strategy, and organization. By the way, can you back it up a few frames to the wide shot? Beep. This is sad to me. That, like, there's almost nobody there. There's nobody there. Here, yeah. Here's something happening that's important yeah. in government. And it's also going to lead to immense profiteering. Right. And, you know, obviously a lot of pay for play. And the seats are empty except for a couple of journalists. Yeah. Maybe and, one journalist, and then, actually. And then one guy on his laptop at the table And then back some there. lawyers up there. Yeah. yeah. There's it's, more people behind the desks than watching the desks. Because there's a lot of people interested in this money, uh, money, money, money. Wow. Organization to protect our nation in cyberspace. To begin, I'd like to thank Senators Rounds and Nelson for their leadership on these issues in our Cybersecurity Subcommittee. This hearing builds upon the good work that they and their subcommittee have done this year to tackle the critical challenge of cyber. So they go on to talk about uh, basically, and I'll just spare spare you, but uh, how the challenge of cyber attacks have been getting greater, and you know the depth and et cetera, et cetera. But if you look back at any of these major attacks that have happened, they're generally like of a few categories. The most common appears to be phishing attacks, yeah, which don't require some sophisticated military response, or they're zero-day exploit attacks, which are generally extremely targeted, and the zero-day market is as vibrant as it is because our own government is funneling millions of dollars into buying zero days, creating demand in a market, driving people to charge outrageous price for zero days, and driving people to find zero days at an unbelievable rate, so that way they can sell them to the U.S. government. So our own government is fueling the zero-day market. So increasing spending on military cyber defenses would probably only worsen that problem. I really don't see I really don't see that I mean all and then the other category of attacks would generally be you click on a link somewhere that's outside of an email. Right. Very 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 rarely. <clears throat> very very rarely is it uh is it something more significant than that? I'll play just a bit of it just so we have it on the record here and then I'm going to wrap it up cuz I'm getting bored and I'm sure you guys are too. <laughs> to manipulate public opinion. Let me back up a little bit cuz of course we got to get the Russia angle in here. Government systems and critical infrastructure Data breaches that compromise sensitive information of our citizens and companies, attempts to manipulate public opinion through social media, and, of course, attacks against the fundamentals of our democratic system and process. And those are just the ones that we know about. This is a totally new kind of threat, as we all know. Our adversaries, both state and non-state actors, view the entire information domain as a battle space and across it. They are waging a new kind of war against us. That's, that's a lot of projection there. But you get the general idea. And so the solution is because government can't respond fast enough, we got to spend money on contractors. Spend, 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 spend. More money, more money. Yeah. You know, so what do you think, Chase? you think that's going to solve our cyber problems? Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel safer already. I'm feeling pretty good about that. I feel that. good now. Yeah, I feel like we're not going to need to worry my, about my it. I got my caffeine uh, all patched up. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm sorry, Kaspersky. Sorry, guys. I want to cover. I got, before we get to our main topic of the day today, which is um, really uh, a lot. There's a lot going on in Clinton's world today, and I know you'd think after the election we'd be done talking about Hillary, but there was many, many domino pieces that were set in place during the election, and some of those are falling down now, and so we have more and more information. We'll get into why, and some of it's why Chase's Twitter feed's on fire. But let's stop for a second and note something in the Trump category this week that happened that's 
really well it's it's unprecedented and uh i i've never really seen this happen before but i i i wanted to ask you do you do you recall in recent history former presidents criticizing sitting presidents even when like bush was really fucking up like do you remember clinton coming out and being critical about it no, but then or, again, or Bush coming out with like during like Fast and Furious and like going after Obama, it's not maybe once or twice. I mean, the the problem now is we have such readily connected equipment and you know twenty four seven news cycles and you know Twitter and Facebook and everything. So it's hard to go back because they didn't have the instant reach that a lot of these places do now, or these people do now. So hmm. it's hard to say. Because it's, it's just a different not, news environment. It's, it's totally different environment. Well, so, okay, here's a little background on yeah. what we're talking about. Aftermath of these terrible storms, the American people have done what we do best. We came together, we helped one another, and through it all, we remain resilient. President Trump joining via video message as all five former living U.S. presidents stand on one stage raising funds for hurricane relief. United, for a night at least. Yet just on Thursday, in two separate speeches, both former presidents, Bush and Obama, made remarks largely perceived as against the current White House. I don't know. I think the, the re- what bugs me about it a bit is it seems unpresidential. And it seems like it, while, we're, while we're all getting, giving Trump a hard time for being unpresidential, at the same time, we're all playing dirty. We're, we're willing to, we're willing to uh, basically do the same exact thing, it seems like. If they're if they're going out there and they're breaking sort of an unspoken protocol, or maybe it is spoken, where they go out and you don't generally criticize the the sitting president, and they're just saying, "Well, this is this is a time for us to put that aside." That's the same justification Trump uses to tweet. Um, it, you know, it's it's the same logic. Right. It's just a different side of the coin. I don't know. Uh, to me, it, it to me it just it was it was sort of unseemly, and I think I I think what's driving Obama. I have two theories, actually. I think two. One is I think what's driving Obama is that he wants to get active in the Democratic Party again, and he's just out and about, and he's sort just of feeling it around a little bit. He's sort of stepping up now that Hillary's losing momentum from her book tour. He's stepping up. <laughs> well, you know, with her books on the discount rack, you know. Yeah, and then I think Bush is um, well. Bush has sort of became. I think the Bushes became a Clinton ally during the 2016 election, and so I think Bush is just sort of benefiting from anybody who's. Friends with the Clintons, they're now being nice to the Bushes. Right. Yeah. I can see that. Did you hear about this? Uh, is it pronounced Niger or how do you? Do you... Uh, I think both are okay. Niger, uh, I know yeah. some, some say. A, they'll they'll, they'll, they'll Niger, have a pronunciation here yeah. at the top here. But uh, there was an ambush of U.S. troops there. And digging into the story, there's some kind of interesting tidbits. And I'll set, up, I'll set it up a little bit with this first clip. Late tonight, NBC News is learning the ambush in Niger, Niger. may have been a setup. A sneak attack by terrorists tipped off in advance about a meeting between U.S. special forces and tribal leaders in a village sympathetic to ISIS. So U.S. forces were meeting with tribal leaders, sort of off the record, it appears. Three officials briefed on the matter say that's the emerging theory among Pentagon investigators. A big part of the mission there is meeting with the locals, getting in with them, getting intelligence from them. But what this mission shows is just how dangerous that can be. Okay, spokesperson from the Pentagon, thank you. 
Today, the nation's top military officer tried to explain what Here went so wrong. We owe the families that have fallen more information. In a rare briefing, General Joseph Dunford says U.S. Special Forces, who perhaps thought they could handle the fight themselves, waited an hour after the initial confrontation. Now, she interjects the speculation, who perhaps thought they could handle it themselves. That's that's conjecture. What it, what it more likely is, is they weren't supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. And by calling for air support, they'd be revealing the fact that they are outside of a yeah. mission. To call for air support. Did the mission change? That is one of the questions that's being asked. Yes, it did. It's a fair question. Yes, it is. Yes, it is a fair question. So we're all over the place. We're all over Africa. We got quite the presence. Whatever happened to America first, Chris? America first! So what are we doing there? Look, you're going to wonder, is this mission creep? You remember 1993, October 3rd, Black Hawk Down? I do. People are going to say, is this mission creep? Has let me, the mission been consistent? Let me, let, me, let me talk about the mission. And, and I think it's important for me to go back to my opening statement and talk about strategically what we are trying to do. So for background, we have been there for 20 years. Okay? 20 years. Uh, in our judgment, we're dealing with global threats in al-Qaeda and ISIS and other, and other groups. That, so that justification, al-Qaeda and ISIS, that, that doesn't... I, that doesn't. Uh, that didn't fly twenty years ago. So, what you're just going to keep coming up with a different reason? That that is what exactly years? what they do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the theory uh, of the case of our strategy is to be able to put pressure on them simultaneously wherever they are, and as importantly. Yeah. So that means, of course, we have to be everywhere, all over the world. And if you felt bad for not knowing that we had a whole bunch of troops in Africa, well, don't feel bad because it turns out uh, some U.S. senators. Had no idea either. High-level ones. The U.S. military and Congress try to piece together what led to the deaths of American servicemen in Niger earlier this month. It seems many lawmakers in the States have no idea about their troop presence in that African country. Three weeks ago, a group of American and local troops were attacked in Niger by ISIL fighters. Four U.S. servicemen and ten Nigerian soldiers were killed in that ambush. The Pentagon says the group had no full air support until two hours after the battle began. According to estimates, Niger has the second largest U.S. military presence in Africa, 800 out of the total 6,000 troops across the continent. Djibouti is in first place with 4,000 servicemen. Wow. Then comes Somalia and Cameroon with 400 and 300 soldiers. Now, it is, it is perhaps tens of thousands more. I don't know the number because they just sort of infer it in the press conference, but it could be tens of thousands more that we have local, quote-unquote, contractors that are also working for us. So we have 6,000 U.S. military troops and then perhaps tens of thousands, maybe even as many as 60,000, quote-unquote, U.S. contract or local contractors who are probably U.S. contractors that are just over there locally. I, I don't know what defines local contractor. Respectively. However, it will soon be difficult to tell how many total troops the U.S. has across the world, as Samira Khan reports. So it's official. Washington has intervened in so many different countries, even U.S. senators seem to have lost track. But I didn't know there was a thousand troops in Niger. This is an endless war without boundaries, no limitation on time and geography. And Senator Graham's not the only one. You heard Senator Graham there. He didn't know we had a thousand troops in Niger. Did you? Uh, No, I did not. (laughs) Can you believe this? And there you have it, two sitting senior senators. Let me say this. That's Chuck Schumer. It, is it, I know, it's Chuck and uh, uh, what's-his-face, uh, Lindsay. Lindsay, Lindsay um, yeah, yeah. Is it a play, possibly, to deny that we they knew that they were there to, I mean, 
I'm I'm thinking, you know, it's maybe sometimes it's safer to go, no, I didn't know, because if they say yes, that they knew that they were there, then the next question is going to be, so, uh, Senator, uh, maybe, but does it ever does it ever seem good to look? Does it ever look good to seem uninformed about at military actions like that? Uh, may, maybe it's better to answer no in these situations. Maybe it's Our, a strategic I'll, no. Here, I'll give you the RT theory. The RT theory is just because the because the presidents have been using executive action and the and, yeah. and the authorization to fight terrorism to do this, so they haven't been going through the proper levels of government. So how is this possible? Yeah, here's your theory. Past administrations have used the authorization for use of military force against terrorists or the AUMF to warrant military operations involving non-state actors or terror organizations. I think, you know, what it is is those senators are just uninformed. They're really just uninformed Uh, political idiots is what it is. Uh, speaking of idiots, uh, you you've been getting a lot of tweets. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I I sent you a telegram. I said I said watch out, buddy, because your your good pal, my buddy Devin Nunes, is going to get a lot of tweets because he's pushing to legally get information about the financing for the Trump dossier, and uh, that. That is part of a larger investigation into the uranium deal and ma- and a bunch of other things. It's just a whole web. And so we're going to take a moment and open up the Russia files once again on the show. And let's start with uh, the uranium deal investigation. Let's get more now on the new Uranium One investigation. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes of California joins us tonight. So just a quick recap, I suppose, in case you don't know, the Uranium One deal is a deal in which eventually Russia gets like 20 percent or 25 percent of the U.S.'s uranium supply stock. Essentially, we give it over to Russia. And the accusation is is that, um, coincidentally at least, during the process of deciding, the uh, the Clinton Foundation received hundreds of thousands of dollars from certain Russian interests, and Bill Clinton was paid tens and tens and tens and tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars to give speeches. Um, and um, Hillary was in the State Department at this time. This is while President Obama was in office. However, there is nothing that really conclusively links her to any decision that was made inside the State Department based on her funding. There is the fact that she received money and that Bill received money and that she's in the State Department and the State Department was in part responsible for the decision. But it's kind of a loose association. So more investigation does need to be done. But it's one of these conspiracies that gets talked about constantly around the Clinton. And not all conspiracies are wrong. From Statuary Hall, Mr. Chairman, thanks for being here. Always a pleasure. What are you looking for? Well, first and foremost, we want to find out whether or not the FBI or DOJ or both uh, had an investigation, open investigation at the time uh, that this deal was approved uh, by several government agents, agencies uh, called CFIUS. I don't want to get into that, but basically it had to have approval from uh, several cabinet level uh, people, including Secretary Clinton. You know, Secretary Clinton is still on her book tour. She was on C-SPAN, asked about this and the potential for an investigation. Here's what she said. And I want to hear what you think about Hillary's response here too, Chase, because uh, this has got to be the opinion of at least some people watching. The closer the investigation about real Russian ties between Trump associates and real Russians, the more they want to just throw mud on the wall and I'm their favorite target, me and, you know, President Obama. We're the ones that they always like to put into the crosshairs. It's the same baloney they've been peddling for years, and there's been no no credible evidence by anyone. When I hear that, it, you know what it reminds me I of? I want to know what the edit was. 
it reminds me of her response to the email server stuff right over and over while they were actually doing an investigation um and so devin nunes and friends are trying to determine if anybody inside the government was investigating the uranium one deal and it at at I think probably the most demissive response of that would be, well, Devin Nunes is a political hack. He's working for Trump, and of course he's going to go after the Uranium One deal. All right. So I did a little digging around. Is there Was there any other, perhaps, smoke that could lead to this fire? And uh, I found Jeff Sessions' testimony to be interesting. He was giving testimony in the Senate investigation into Russia about six days ago, and the topic of investigating their Uranium One deal came up in this hearing, and here was his response, and here's some of the questions. I want to ask a question that looks like history, but it was in the news recently, uh, yesterday, I believe. According to government documents and recent news reports, the Justice Department had an ongoing criminal investigation for bribery, extortion, and money laundering into officials for the Russian company making the purchase of Uranium One. That purchase was approved during the previous administration and resulted in the Russians owning 20% of America's uranium mining capacity. Okay, 20%, not 25. Uh, What are you doing to find out how the Russian takeover of the American uranium was allowed? How is he saying that, Chase? Russian. He's got some issues there. To occur despite criminal conduct by the Russian company that right. the Obama administration approved to make the purchase. Mr. Chairman, uh, we will hear your concerns. The Department of Justice uh, will take such actions as is appropriate, I know. And I would, would offer that some people have gone to jail in that transaction already. I didn't know that little fact right there. I didn't know that. But either. the article um, talks about other issues. So uh, without confirming or denying the existence of any particular investigation, I would say I hear your concerns and they will be reviewed. I, and he goes on to he goes on to again. There's a there's another three minutes to this clip. He goes on to again infer that he can't say because there may be an active investigation. And so therefore he can't comment, which would seem to indicate there is an investigation, because if there wasn't one, he wouldn't have that conflict. But the Russian investigation itself is getting stranger and stranger as time goes on. Ed, this story has got so many moving parts, and you're right. The Russia stuff is getting stranger by the day. So as Ed mentioned, Bob Mueller's office is expanding their Russia probe, and it has now reached Tony Podesta, the brother of John Podesta. Now, this was announced last week, a little bit after the show, that the Bob Mueller, the the Robert Mueller, the the big investigation, the really serious, legit investigation, is uh, going after one of the Podesta brothers. (laughs) What? John Podesta, who ran Hillary Clinton's campaign. Tony Podesta runs a lobbying firm who did a public relations campaign for the Ukrainian government. The deal was apparently set up, though, by former Trump campaign chair Paul Manafort several years ago, though, before he worked for Trump. How's that for irony? The investigation into Paul Manafort led them to Podesta. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Here's the more information on that. Well, good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. We're beginning tonight with a story we just learned a few hours ago, a story that amazed us. Last night in this show, we told you about how the Podesta Group, a lobbying firm co-founded by Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman, John Podesta, and his brother, Tony, had been sucked into independent counsel Robert Mueller's investigation of alleged Russian interference in American politics. 
Before last night's show was even over, we got an email from a man with direct personal knowledge of that story. Leaker number one. Keep track of this. The man, whose name we can't reveal for the time being, is a former senior employee of the Podesta Group. He worked there for years. He said he was motivated to contact us by the disgust he felt watching media coverage of the Russia story. This, I think, is going to play a factor in the next story, too. Not only were most reporters getting it wrong, he said, they were getting it backward. The Russians were, in fact, deeply involved in American politics, but the real story had almost nothing to do with the 2016 presidential campaign. Well, intrigued, we agreed to meet with that source today. He just left our offices here in Washington a couple of hours ago. The story he told us is astonishing. We'll be following up on it, confirming more of it, and bringing you details throughout this week and after. So I'll keep an eye out for it. You can tell Cucker's really, like, excited about this, too. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, because he, he's, he's, he's supposed to be. And well I, well, I think he believes this guy's legitimate. I think he really does buy it. Well, see, I you always got to be careful here. Well, yeah, but you got to be careful here. Do you think... Do you think be, he's just trying to Rachel Meadow it? Well, yeah. I mean, remember the whole made Rachel Maddow tax forum situation? Totally and, possible. Yeah. Yep. I mean, all I can say this, when when you are, and we're going to, uh, to be fair, to say, you know, Fox News is definitely, you know, a, a Trump favorable news organization, okay? You get something like this, of course, you're going to, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested right. in this. Yeah, just like, just, yep, exactly. If, if somebody had the same kind of passion and said, hey, we have some real dirt and information about Trump. Do you think Tucker would be even talking about it? Probably not. Maybe not. But I. So I think what why one of the reasons he's really fired. But if up it's about true it, and it's legit, then hell yeah. Because the reason why I think one of the reasons he's fired up about it is uh, what he's about to get into lines up with things I distinctly remember from like WikiLeaks emails and stuff. Like a lot of this stuff lines up. It kind of like checks out. So right. it's it's interesting when you hear these stories, like when you hear the Rachel Meadow one where she gets all excited about the anonymous tax returns that show up in the mailbox and you hear this one, there's there's a significant difference in the kinds of details you get. So he's about to get into it. He's He had to do his whole buildup because he's so damn excited about it. Oh, but yeah. Now here we get some information. But first, here's an overview of what he told us. Media reports describe Paul Manafort as a central figure in the Russia investigation due to the several months he spent as Donald Trump's campaign chairman. According to our source, that's only half true. Manafort is indeed at the center of this investigation, but not because of his ties to Trump. In fact, Paul Manafort spent years working with the Podesta Group on behalf of Russian government interests. That relationship extends back to at least 2011, when our source claims Manafort had dinner in Washington with both Podestas, Tony and John. In the years following, our source says he saw Paul Manafort in the Podesta Group offices, quote, all the time, at least once a month. Manafort was not there to socialize. He was representing Russian business and political interests who sought to influence Capitol Hill, Hillary Clinton's State Department, and the Obama administration. Our source describes Manafort bringing what he called a parade of Russian oligarchs up to the Congress where they met with members and their staffs. Manafort is a hired gun. Manafort worked with Obama. He worked with Clinton. He worked with Podesta. And then it, when it came time, he worked with Trump because he was hired by these, this firm to essentially help smooth things along for Russia. Manafort is a whore. And their staffs. But the central effort to extend Russian influence was focused on the executive branch, the Obama administration. The vehicle through which Paul Manafort worked for the Russians was a shell group called the European Center for a Modern Ukraine. Now, the group supposedly was based in Belgium, but it had no actual offices there. 
It had, in fact, only two employees, both of them based in Ukraine. Their telephone number in Brussels rang in Kiev. It was a sham. And this is all right before the uh, government over there goes a little bit of a tumble. Uh, So Cucker lays out a really good case, and he goes on for minutes minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes about how Manafort and the Podesta group worked together to uh, essentially uh, help the Russian government or other Russian interests, not even just the government, really, but uh, large, powerful corporations. Um, you know, there's an old saying, and I think I think it was uh, I think it was George Carlin that says that the one true, really great product that the United States makes is grade A homegrown bullshit, and we package it up and we sell it, and, and it's a top product, and everyone around the world comes to the United States to have their bullshit sold. And uh, the, that includes the Russians. And Manafort is a form of that. It's not just marketing anymore. It's influencing Washington. It's getting the right people in D.C. lined up behind you. It's managing the message and making contacts with the media. And that's what gangsters and whores like Manafort make possible. Man, he's a man whore. Man whore. <laughs> that's good, dude. By the way, that's System T, by the way. That's really good. That is really good. Um, and and I just... Like it all comes back together. It all it all com- comes back to the Podesta. It, it, group. it makes a lot of sense. And you know, here's the thing about Podesta. Yeah, he's ostensibly he, he had he had his own company with his brother, but that was just really uh, uh, to make it look like that was his own thing. He really was a he was a Clinton Foundation employee. He worked really for the Clinton Foundation, even when she was in the State Department. There's there's lots of WikiLeaks of 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 Hillary email and John Podesta, and you know he's just giving her political advice. Uh, he worked with her through, and, and he helped hold meetings to make Clinton, uh, Clinton donate Clinton Foundation donor, donors. Uh, he helped organize meetings between Clinton Foundation donors and Hillary Clinton. Mm. And then, of course, she helped get some jobs everywhere she goes. Which leads us now to this Trump dossier, which uh, <laughs> this again is thanks to your buddy Nunes, um, good friend, as he pushed things along. The, they and they tried to get an answer to who was funding this Trump Wait, dossier. I'm confused, Chris. I thought Devin, the Dick Nunes, decided to recuse himself? recuse himself from the investigation. Chris, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not really sure how that works. I guess maybe the, the dossier seems like it would be related to the investigation. Mm-hmm. But uh, so he and he's he, him and among among others tried to get they they wrote letters and they tried subpoenas and nothing really worked. So they finally went to court, and um, the judge. The judge said, "All right, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna reveal as part of this process who it was as par- as we go through this. So it's going to come out one way or another. Either you're going to lose, or it's just going to come out in the in the record because I'm going to reveal it. And when when the judge uh, informed the defendants uh, that 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 was the case, well, they decided to take matters in their own hand and leak it." So we have leak number two. CBS News confirms the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign helped pay for controversial research into President Trump's ties to Russia. So where is this coming from? Where is this big news coming from? Uh, well, it's from a exclusive at the Washington Post. Actually, the Washington Post, because a Clinton campaign staffer. I believe, I'm not positive, ran to the Washington Post with a hell of a story. I'll play bits of an interview that uh, Aaron uh, had here. Breaking news, CNN learning tonight that Hillary Clinton's campaign and the Democratic National Committee helped fund the research which led to the controversial and, frankly, 
uh, salacious and disgusting in some of its allegations dossier that detailed alleged Russian efforts to help Donald Trump's presidential campaign. The Washington Post was first to report this. Now, this is, as you know, the dossier that claimed that uh, Trump hired hookers to piss on the bed that Obama had slept in. Uh-huh. And uh, this dossier made it via John McCain to the FBI. This is what the Obama administration and the FBI used to go to the FISA court and then begin domestic surveillance of some of the Trump campaign associates. This dossier is what started the entire Trump-Russia narrative. Well, I guess that's not true. Uh, the, the Clinton campaign is, but... The dossier is what the is what officially gave the FBI justification to begin the investigation. So much so that the FBI, at a certain point, began paying for the dossier to continue to be created. When the Clinton campaign stopped, the FBI picked up paying for it. But I'm, I'm getting ahead. So this dossier is the key, one of the key pieces to this entire Russia story. Up front, one of the reporters who just broke the story, Adam Entis with the Washington Post. Adam, good to have you back. So uh, let's just start with the bottom line here. Clinton, uh, the Hillary Clinton campaign and uh, the DNC. What exactly did they do? Well, I mean, they have a lawyer, uh, and that lawyer uh, went about looking uh, to hire research firms. Uh, one of the firms uh, that uh, they hired was this company in Washington here called Fusion GPS. Mm -hmm. Fusion GPS, in turn, subcontracted out to Christopher Steele, the former British intelligence officer, uh, to help uh, get information about Trump's relationships in Russia. Uh, those, in, those reports that Chris Steele produced were then passed back to the lawyer who was representing the Clinton campaign. Uh, what we don't really know is how that information was then relayed to the campaign. Uh, uh, our understanding from talking to people who were close to the matter is that those actual steel reports were not directly handed to the campaign. So we don't really quite understand how the information was passed, who got the information, right. uh, and, uh, and, and we, you know, obviously we want to know, uh, you know what they did with that information after they received it. Something tells me uh, Hillary somehow got her hands on that information. Hmm. What do you think of this story? What, what, are, your, what are your initial thoughts? Uh, is anything really too surprising here? We had not not really because remember I mean first off wasn't it Trump who said you know opposition research you know this is okay opposition research and he was you know all talking about getting WikiLeaks to you know say you know hey you know get us give me Hillary's emails but now we know on this side of the coin that it looks like they were the campaign the Hillary campaign was doing the exact same thing in, in reverse right it seems too like uh, there's a piece of this they're not talking a lot about and that is that the initial funders were also look like GOP candidates that's right uh, they're gonna, missing they're missing that very key point let's come back to that uh, here's a little bit of CBS's take on it originally commissioned by anti-trump Republicans in the primary the document was compiled by research firm fusion GPS with information from former British spy Christopher Steele. The folks behind me got us right over the top. But after Donald Trump's primary victory, the research didn't stop. Mark Elias, a lawyer working for the Clinton campaign and the DNC, hired Fusion GPS. His law firm, Perkins Coie, confirmed that relationship in a letter Tuesday, which says in part, Fusion GPS approached Perkins Coie in early March of 2016 to continue research that Fusion GPS had conducted for one or more other clients during the Republican primary contest. I have nothing to do with Russia. Haven't made a phone call to Russia in years. The <laughs> 
That was just a great line. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but so, yeah, let's talk about this GOP candidate. Uh, Trump was asked who he thinks it is, and he had an interesting response. This Fusion GPS investigation began on the Republican side of things during the primary. Do you have any idea who it was who was collecting well, they say it began with the Republicans. I think I would know, but I won't say. It'll be determined. It'll be determined. Look, Hillary would have never announced it was them, except for this great court case that's going on, where the judge was going to reveal it. So they figured, we'll do it first. They're very embarrassed by it. It's a disgrace. Yes, it might have started with the Republicans early on in the primaries. I think I would know, but let's find out who it is. I'm sure that will come out. Wait, I think I would know? That doesn't make sense to me. I know, it is a weird way to put it. Uh, I think I would know is maybe is his way of saying you could probably speculate I would know, but I can't say that I know. Is that what he's saying? <laughs> what the hell does that mean, man? Bar, do you have any idea? I think I would have if, if I were to Wait, guess. Wait, how many thinks does he have? I know he's really dancing Stop around. Stop it! Have if, if I were to Be guess, direct. I have one name in mind. One name in mind, and I'll tell you what name that is. Bush. You know why? Because I've been saying that for what? How, how many months, guys? Can anybody in the Discord actually tell me how long I've been saying all of this? Everything we just played, we've been saying for how many months now? Uh-huh. Um, so we knew this was coming. It's interesting to see it. It's, it's almost like this investigation is beginning to turn back in on the Democrats a bit. Because of damn Podesta and Hillary Clinton's friends, you know, her friends like Harvey Weinstein, who turns turns out to be a son of a bitch, or Anthony Weiner, who also turns out to be a son what? of a bitch. How, how, how she's got make, the worst friends, man. John Podesta. You, how would it make everybody feel on both sides if both sides are, are just blown up in this? <laughs> Great. I mean, no, I mean, seriously. I mean, you, you, you get people that are, are hardcore Trump fans, right? And you got people that are hardcore Clinton fans, right? And then you know they're so passionate about their person and you know, oh Hillary, it's yeah. her time and Trump, you know, we're gonna drain the swamp, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna wear my red hat. And then all of a sudden, boom, it blows up in everybody's face. Everybody. Oh, it'd be glorious. Oh my gosh. What a what a time to be a po- be, be a podcast oh, that covers this please. stuff. Please. It's really something. Unbelievable. So um I guess we'll just watch and see yeah. where all of this goes. It feels like somebody a couple of people are gonna fall. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, John Podesta's brother falls and Manafort falls, and then everybody was everybody can say they were right, and you don't touch anybody that's actually important, and um, those guys are sons of bitches anyways. So I wouldn't be surprised if long term this is where this ends. It, that could be it. That could be the scope of it, or this thing could really unravel. And it's it's really just how far and how legitimate these investigations are. And we'll see. You want to you want to feel better. You want to sh- you want to shift gears. You got anything in the sack? We could. I have a we, nice. Do you want to transition over to the sack? Full distinguished. I'm sorry. What? 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 I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I have a full distinguished sack. It's now time to bring back the sack. The sack is back. The sack is back. I the like sack that. Is back. That's good. That's right. Yes. What do we got in the sack? Well, hey, you guys. First off, happy to be back again. Like I said, uh, you heard my spiel at the top of the show. Really, really great to be with you. And we have a few, a few things for you. First off, Veratuna writes in and says, hey, low sack is back. And that's a fact. Oh, my God. Really? We're yeah. doing this? I, well, that's what he said. <laughs> anyway, hope you and that. yours are all well after your meetup. And well, thoughts are with you, bud. As to what's been going on over here. I am convinced we are slipping into a dystopian world akin to many great philosophers and writers warned us of. When you have the BBC saying, quote, 
new terror laws would, quote, criminalize thought, Watchdog warns, you have to wonder where the hell this is all going to end. Good to see Unfilter back with its captain and first mate ready to ride the stormy seas of fearful disinformation and hyperbole till we hit the ground, hit the solid ground of truth. That's very wow. tuned. That's deep, Thanks, man. buddy. Landon Yargens writes and says, hey, welcome back, Chase. So glad to see both of you together at the helm again. And finally, Robert writes in and says, hey, whoop, whoop, glad, have you, glad to have you and Chris back at the same time for an exciting show. By the way. On the live stream, is there a quick way to tell when the regular show starts? Sometimes I get online and I want to jump to the regular show and catch the overtime tomorrow morning after it's posted. Maybe you can have a different banner for the overtime portion? Uh, so there you go. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we do have an intro graphic, so you could skim for the intro sequence, which is which is you know about almost two minutes long. Yeah. So remember, you guys, if you want to be a part of the sack, you got to be a part of Club 33. And if uh, you want to join right now, we do have a three solid no way, slots really? right now. Right now, three open spots for Club 33. You guys should go for that so if you can. You can get in right now. Yeah. But Speaking you, of which, I have yeah. some uh, Club 33 swag for you out in the truck. Oh, nice. Sweet. Yeah. I'll bring it in if I can. Awesome. So yeah. don't forget, you guys, support us over at patreon.com slash unfilter. And if you can't get in at Club 33, no worries because you can become an investor or a supporter today. Because every little bit helps, gets us to our goal. Yeah, and also just spread the word about the show, link it to somebody else yeah. who you think might be interested in some of our topics. Don't forget, too, if like you think you just want to get them maybe just hooked on something we specifically talked about, you can send out YouTube time code links, too. Oh, yeah. That, That's one of the reasons why we publish on YouTube, even though it's a bit of a son of a bitch. Yeah, well, especially <laughs> now, yeah, right? Yeah, oh, but it's useful for people sharing the show. It really is. Uh, Chris, I've uh, regret to inform you that your content is subjective uh, yeah, and, and has it been is, demonetized. It is not it needs, suitable uh, for manual, advertisers. It needs manual review. No, in fact, let's break some of that suitability right now with the high note. Uh, these we we I think we have one of these stories about once every six months on the show, and every time we have one of these stories, I think, damn it, why doesn't this happen to me instead of these people? These people squander an opportunity, and it drives me crazy, so I have to share my pain with you right now. I'm sorry. And new this morning, some Amazon customers in Orlando, they got quite the surprise when they opened their package that arrived uh, just on their doorstep. Uh-huh. Boy, uh-huh. did they. They ordered plastic storage bins, but the bins came full of 65 pounds of marijuana. The marijuana was in boxes inside the totes, and as soon as they opened the boxes, they were hit with that strong odor. They called police right away. They were, they were extremely heavy, more heavy than you would think just from ordering four empty bins. So when the first officer got there, uh, she was actually in disbelief. I know why she was in disbelief. You called us? I mean, I know, really? Right? I mean, why would you call us? I know. I don't actually understand uh, that. Kidding. No, why would you? I'm, I'm, but seriously, though, I mean, <sighs> at that point... You, you you give it to your friend or your neighbor and be like, hey, can I guess you some people do just, something with some this Some people for me? just have too much money. That's what the problem is. <laughs> some people just have, they, and they, you know what? They just they, they should yeah, become a patron. WWNSX is right. I mean, they could have opened up a, mer- a medical shop, you know, yeah, <laughs> get started. There's your uh, opening cash right there. Now, you know, I'm not Mr. Sports here, but there's a former NBA commissioner who's famous for having the hardest stance on drugs in Are the NBA. Are talking about Stern? 
yeah. Anytime with so. David Stern. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. Is it, and, he, and Stern made himself some uh, some big news this week uh, when he's like, no, let him smoke pot. Let him smoke Marijuana it. remains on the NBA yep, list of banned yeah. substances, but former Commissioner David Stern said... Now, you say that with some, uh, like, you're not a big fan of Stern. Oh, I hate Stern. Yeah. I don't like Stern. I mean, and it's not for the drug reasons. It's because of how he kind of basically... I know I'm a little sore, a little localized here, but how he basically handed the Seattle Supersonics uh, sure, to his sure. who is a rich buddy and moved to Oklahoma City. So he's you know, a controversial Stern, guy. So Stern can uh, suck a bag, if yeah. you know what I mean. That's why I thought it was actually even more surprising that he had such a nonchalant attitude about the pot. Oh, yeah. I think that pretty smart people don't know what's right and what's not right, but I think there's universal agreement that marijuana, for medical purposes, should be completely legal. And he was uh, interviewing with... Uh, Harrington has become a cannabis entrepreneur. That guy. Ah, there mm-hmm. you go. I think, I think, Mr. Chase... Yes, Mr. Chris. That's probably all the veggies for this week. Now, we do have a little apple pie if you want to stick around for the overtime. We got, uh, well, we got a great old Nancy segment coming up. Got a little more Trump stuff. Got some JFK stuff. Yeah. Got all kinds of things. As yeah. well as maybe, maybe, if time allows... A little more Cucker Tuckerson. Maybe just a little. Just a little. I'm, <laughs> just, I'm not, a, just a taste. I won't more. overdo it. All right, fair enough. In the meantime, Mr. Chase, if yes, people got if people got to get out of here, yeah. Do you have any like you know parting wisdom you could you could share with them that might empower them to move forward in perhaps communicating with us? Well, if you want to see what my adventures are in the old Devin Nunes versus me Nunes oh my Chase Nunes saga. Nunes versus Nunes <laughs> hashtag. Follow me on Twitter at Nunes N U N E S. Also, by the way, I have my own little Discord, discord.gg slash TV and also TV on Twitch. Check that out. You're an animal. Chris, you got your blog, vlog, video log. There may be something in the works. flying and Maybe stuff. Something. Where, where can people mm-hmm. find that stuff? There could be something new coming soon over yeah. at youtube.com slash Chris Fisher. That's oh, my name. Look, would you look at that? That's my name. That's also, like, wow, I'm subscribed. Go figure that one out. Nice. Also, did you know that we got the Twitters at Chris L-A-S? It's a good way to get a hold of me because uh, that 140 characters, sometimes 280. Uh, Chris, um, uh-huh. I have 280. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So does <laughs> so does that, so does the at Jupiter Signal account, the network nice. account, where you can find out about show live times, releases, and whatnot. Speaking of live times, JupiterBroadcasting.com/slash/calendar to get it converted to your local time zone. JBLive.tv is where you do it. We tend to get started really the pre 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 show gets started around 3:30 Pacific. Nice on Wednesdays. Yeah, you should join us. By the way. Great to be back, you guys. I love yeah. you. Miss you. Yeah, it's good, it's to, be good to have you back, buddy. You know lonely what? in here with just one of you. Know, you know, I, I'm just thinking one I, guy. I might come back here. Oh, maybe next, next week. can't always believe eyewitness reports. The unfiltered show isn't over. Some might say it's just beginning. It's overtime! Yes, yes, yes. Indeed, thank you to Nick 
Carl, RR, Hugh, and Drew. Our five new patrons this week. Thank you. You're fabulous. You're our fabulous five over at patreon.com slash unfilter. This segment is dedicated to you and all of our supporters and future supporters at patreon.com slash unfilter. We have quite a bit to get into. I'm feeling good about today's overtime, guys, because it's like a traditional power zone overtime. We're going to talk about some stories that still have legs for some reason that just keep getting stranger. We're going to showcase McCain getting grumpy as hell. I love it. Not a big fan of McCain, but I do kind of like grumpy. Tell it as it is McCain. We're going to show that. But first, we got to start with the O'Nancy segment. I mean, we got it. It's a good one this week. Nancy's in full force out there, getting, getting the Nancy Pelosi message out. And so we have several things to choose from. And we're going to sit here together, get some popcorn, and break it all down. Take it away, Nancy. She goes, oh, she goes on Morning Joy and gets the hard question today. Reed and I will do it now. We have the control. In between, it was all presidential. Yeah. All presidents. So let's talk about the potential for that. If, let's say, uh, Democrats were to retake the House, yeah. um, there is still a contingent on the left side of the Democratic Party, and it's ironic because you are, of course, also That's a liberal a member of the party, that would like to see you ousted as leader. Mm-hmm. Um, if the Democrats were to retake the House, do you, do, do you foresee a challenge to your leadership? Well, the, uh, I, 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 <laughs> we're already off to a good start. So this has been, see, the question the bigger question here is if they can get some substantial if they can get some substantial gains will they go after Trump will they impeach Trump and Nancy is not a fan of the whole impeach thing do you do you, do you foresee a challenge to your leadership well the uh, I, I, I with all due respect I disagree with your characterization I have an overwhelming support of my caucus there's some uh, people there who disagree with me and that's okay but I would not say that it's a challenge from yeah, because I am on the left. Yeah, you are on the left. I am not. But uh, with anything that they use, the fact that I'm a progressive in the ads against me, they'll talk about the fact that I'm from San Francisco. San Francisco. And she holds up her pride watch. And that I'm a San Francisco liberal and the rest of that. Mm, they don't really. So that's not what it is. It's about other people's ambition, yeah. which is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I've got to fight the tax bill. I've got to fight the uh, assault on the Affordable Care Act. Absolutely. I've got so it's not just this one show. In fact, it's coming up over and over again. Every public appearance Nancy Pelosi is making, people are asking about challenging her on her leadership. We're back with Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi. Oh, my gosh. So they have Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi on here, and the host doesn't even get doesn't even get that right. How do you not get that right in the intro? This is ABC's The View. Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi. You recently had dinner with Trump, and we heard a lot about that dinner, but can you take us inside and tell us a little bit how that played out? Well, we had an invitation, to, uh, Chuck Schumer and I, uh, Leader Schumer, uh, very proud of the New York Yankee. Uh, the, uh, yeah. What? I'm sorry. What did you say? Um, and they just start clapping for her because they've all figured out what she's trying to say, I think. Uh, Leader Schumer, uh, very proud of the New York Yankee. Uh, the, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course, I don't know what you're saying, but yes. The New York Yankee. Uh, the, uh, yes. Yankees today. Yes. Pretty exciting. 
The um, president invited us to, to dinner. Uh, part of what we wanted to say to him is we have some challenges with some of the things you've done in terms of the Affordable Care Act, walking away from the Paris Agreement. DACA, the mo- DACA was the one DACA, of the reasons. Well, we'll get to DACA, but, but you know, we made it, had a list of concerns that we were disappointed in the president's actions on them and said... You know what, Mr. Trump? We're disappointed in you. Something tells me that's not how the conversation went. We need a confidence builder. We need a threshold we have to cross. Now that I do believe, a confidence builder. We need a confidence builder. We, know a sh- we need a show of good faith. Said We need a confidence builder. We need a threshold we have to cross together where we have our shared values. And for us, that is DACA because it's on a very short fuse mm-hmm. from what he had done. He didn't have to do that. That was hard, really heartbreaking that he did what he did. You could say to Congress, pass a law, but not, I'm putting a, a timetable on it. So we said to the president, this is our threshold. This, if- this is the deal we need. This is what we need you to do for us, for us to cooperate. If we can have agreement on this and, and a confidence then we can do other things. Uh-huh. But if we don't have that confidence, it would be very hard to go to other things. The president said, you know, he, he supported the, the DREAM Act. Now, we didn't have agreement yet on the... Uh, but he said he supported the DREAM Act yes, in that meeting. Yes. And, and in the that, previous meeting, he said if it came to his desk, he would sign it. But then he changed it the next day, I think, or well, a week later, he said day. there was... Now, this is interesting. What happens next is Nancy Pelosi defends Donald Trump. This deal is very important to her. No deal. So, well, there was no deal on the the, um, the, the only, there was never a deal. The, the only agreement was we, he would support uh, uh, the Dream Act. We would work with him yeah. on some border issues. We have a responsibility to protect our border. We don't have a. Res- we have a responsibility to protect our border. So there, she's even willing to come to his side a little bit. Yeah. On some border issues, we have a responsibility to protect our border. We don't have a responsibility to turn on the uh, have the uh, the dreamers uh, start a reign of terror in our country by their going after their families and and, right. and other people. But this is a. I mean, every president we have had, Ronald Reagan was great. I mean, I'm talking recent history. Ronald Reagan, George Herbert Walker Bush, our Democratic presidents for sure. George W. Bush have always been very uh, respectful of what immigration means to our country. This is the first president who's made this departure. The first, you guys. And in a very negative way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's unfortunate. But nonetheless, he said he supports the dreamers. I think he supports the dreamers because the American people support the dreamers. Yes. It's a beautiful, lovely, yeah. lovely thing. Not... Not because of us, but because of who the dreamers are. So, you know, you can only, uh, shall we say, um, I I have confidence that the president would not walk away from his support for the dreamers. Now, one thing. You hear Joy? Really? Not walk away from his support for the dreamers. Now, one thing that was interesting at the is the, uh, we wanted to talk, we said, if we can come to this. Don't worry, we're almost done. I'm making you watch her babble through this for a very specific reason here. Is the, uh, we wanted to talk, we said, if we can come to this uh, uh, place and and we, and we prove that it happens, then we can talk about other subjects. Well, some of the, uh, and so they would ask me a question I was answering, and some of the cabinet members who were at the table, I was the only woman at the table, mm-hmm. and, 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 and that's why I have to stay there. To- oh, wait a minute now. <laughs> Hold on now. <laughs> so watch Nancy. Uh, boy, she looks angry in that still. Um, she realizes she's at a table full of women, 
in a show that's watched by women. And it clicks with her that, wait a minute, this is my power stroke. And she doubles down on, this is why these challenges to, to uh, my leadership are short-sighted. Essentially what she's about to say is, all you idiots who want me out as leader, you're going to take one of the few women we have out of a leadership position, and you don't want that, do you? And that's why I have to stay there to be the one of the top women at the so she doubles down on that. So I want to. I want you to see this again because then she's about to make a claim that I think is total bullshit. To be the, the one of the top women, at the top people at the table. But, but anyway, I, I, they uh, they asked a question. I was responding, and they, all they kept saying, "Well, why aren't we talking about this?" And why aren't I said. Uh, you can tell she's lying because she's not going to memory here. She's she's making it up right now. And unfortunately, uh, 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 she, she has to uh, pull it out of her slow brain. We're talking about this. And I said, uh, uh, does anybody listen when a woman speaks around here? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, she didn't say that, did she? How would we know? But something tells me she's making that up. But then she realizes, oh, man, I'm about to fuck over my deal with Trump. <laughs> But, I think but the there's... president was listening. I have to give him credit for that. Oh, covered yourself there, didn't you, Nancy? <laughs> Smooth. You caught it there at the last minute. Uh, Maxine Waters, on the other hand, um, she's all fired up. She's, she goes up, she stands up on stage, and uh, let's see how many seconds it takes before she starts talking about impeachment. Wow. What a moving evening this is. I am sitting here, listening, watching, absorbing, thinking about Ali, even though I never met him. Yeah, uh, I bet you are. And with this kind of inspiration, I will go and take Trump out tonight. Oh, 23 seconds. 23 seconds. The woman is becoming a character of herself. Uh, check out this. This is her playing to her brand here. This is at an AIDS event. Maxine Waters walks out on an AIDS event, and this is uh, her introduction. Thank you, Mayor Garcetti. Reclaiming my time! Oh! <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're just a character of yourself now. Uh-huh. And then she uses her podium there at the AIDS walk in Las Vegas to talk about what? Talk about what? Oh, that's right. Impeaching Donald Trump. Oh, <laughs> reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. All right. That's it for O Nancy this week. Let's shift gears in the overtime. to save us from Nancy there's only one man only one man who can truly come to the day it's not Bill Clinton it's not Jimmy Carter no it's Barack Obama you notice I've been commenting a lot on, on politics lately but here's one thing I know if you have to win a campaign by dividing people you know like identity politics you're not going to be able to govern them. Yep. You won't be able to unite them later. Oh, he's back in Southern Baptist preacher mode. 
if that's how you start. That's how you start. He's back. This week brought us the public reemergence of President Obama. But not just any President Obama. Campaign mode President Obama. You remember the one. Tie off, collar open, and on Thursday stumping for Democratic gubernatorial candidates and throwing some serious shade at Donald Trump as only he can. Oh, oh man. Oh, geez, Joy. Give me a break. Is this appropriate? What we can have is the same old politics of division that we have seen so many times before that dates back centuries. That's right. I, some, of, some, some of the politics we see now, we, we thought we put that to bed. I, I mean, that, 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 that's folks looking 50 years back. It's the 21st century. Not the 19th century. So he's back. He's going to help the Democrats win seats in 2018. Maybe. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Or maybe we should all be focused on the battle in space. The U.S. military prepares for many battles, including ones that could extend into space. The Air Force considers space to be a war-fighting domain. The U.S. military weighs billions of dollars, including wasting money on space. Just like air, land, and sea. But space is getting crowded and competitive, with more countries developing new technologies. The U.S. also tracks more than 500,000 pieces of debris, or space junk, that complicate operations in orbit. Biana Golodriga visited a base in Colorado to see how the Air Force is defending America thousands of miles above Earth. Biana, good morning. Good morning. That space junk, by the way, is quite dangerous, traveling at 17,000 miles per hour. Uh, the U.S. used to be dominant in the world of space, but now not so much. In the last decade, Russia and China have caught up, creating a three-way space race. And now, as tensions with North Korea escalate, the U.S. military is preparing for a potential war above. The Star Trek red alert sound. Is that really happening right now at the U.S. Air Force Base? And China have caught up, creating a three-way space race. Gross. And now as tensions with North Korea escalate, the U.S. military is preparing for a potential war above. Expanding the Pacific Ocean. Possible missile launch. When That's got to be for Korea show. That's got to be. Or any other country launches missiles like these... The airmen at Buckley Air Force Base in Colorado are the first people in the world to know about it. They provide the U.S. and its allies with 24-7 surveillance of all missile launches around the world. It's a very demanding job. It's very no-notice kind of things. Obviously at 28, Lieutenant John Stryker is among the oldest on the team. Feel like an old man? Not until just now. <laughs> Stryker's squadron routinely practices exercises like this one. Who did you call? We call the next person in the chain who puts together a site picture for higher headquarters and ultimately our country's leadership. So you do nothing? <laughs> it's a missile warning detection satellite. That chain of command leads to four-star General Jay Raymond, the military's top space commander. We're doing a lot to prepare uh, for a potential conflict that may extend into space. We do not want this war to happen. And one way to make sure that we don't fight this war is to be prepared to fight and win. That doesn't make any sense. If it were to happen, and we are. Ten countries, including North Korea and Iran, now have the ability to launch a satellite into orbit. So they're getting to the point where they can launch a satellite into orbit. We're getting to the point where we can wage war in space. Do you see the differential there? 
We're provoking. We're it's an arms race, and we're the ones starting it. Oh, shocker! There. Russia and China are developing technology that could blind or damage U.S. satellites. Our job is to provide that global unblinking eye to be able to detect and warn against those threats, and be able to provide that to the decision makers. And how confident are you that that blinking eye will really never blink? <laughs> it doesn't blink. It's always open. That's partly because of these giant golf ball-like structures that dot the Aurora, Colorado skyline. Inside each of these weather-resistant domes sits a 60-foot satellite dish. It scans the planet for the most dangerous weapons. Many people think that we have missiles inside these radomes. You do not have anything that dangerous this close to Denver. Uh, They are simply satellite antennas meant to pass mission data. About 60 miles south at Schriever Air Force Base in Colorado Springs, in this highly restricted and unassuming room, just eight people keep watch over the Global Positioning System, or GPS. Copy. Disconnects are out. Shall we disconnect? The Air Force developed GPS during Desert Storm to help soldiers communicate. GPS helps the military fly aircraft and drop bombs with greater accuracy. Now, you know what GPS is, so we'll cut it there, but uh, kind of interesting to see how they're kind of connecting it all together. Only eight people? Only eight people? Let's go back to that whole uh, Obama was uh, slamming on Trump stuff, because that seems like that deserves further discussion. Aftermath of these terrible storms, the American people have done what we do best. We came together. We helped one another, and through it all, we remain resilient. President Trump joining via video message as all five former living U.S. presidents stand on one stage raising funds for hurricane relief. United, for a night at least. Yet just on Thursday, in two separate speeches, both former presidents, Bush and Obama, made remarks largely perceived as against the current White House. Discontent deepened and sharpened partisan conflicts. Bigotry seems emboldened. Our politics seems more vulnerable to conspiracy theories and outright fabrication. Do you want a politics of division and distraction? Or do you believe in a better kind of politics? One where we work together and listen to each other and move this country forward. And we are back now with the panel. Julie, the White House didn't take the bait. Watch this. Does the White House feel it's appropriate for past presidents to be critical of the sitting president? And, and when was the last time President Trump spoke <coughs> to President Bush? I'm not sure the last time they spoke, but our understanding is that those comments were not directed towards the president. So, Julie, they, I thought that was skillful and, and, and smart. What- yeah, it's a safe bet. Yeah, just stay out of fighting with the former presidents. But that does seem unusual. I don't really remember uh, Clinton coming out and bashing Bush, but I, I can't quite remember. I can't record. It just to me seems unprecedented. <laughs> you see what I did there? <laughs> Am I mad at God? Yeah, I'm mad at him. So Bill O'Reilly, <laughs> he's really been stepping in it recently. Am I mad at God? Yeah, I'm mad at him. So he's trying to come out. I don't know why. I guess people are mentioning him because of the Harvey Weinstein stuff. He's come back up in the discussion and he's trying to prove his innocence and his proof sucks. Bill O'Reilly says he's mad at God. Yeah, I'm mad at him. If I die tomorrow and... and I get an opportunity, I'll say, why would you guys work me over like that? Didn't you know my children were going to be punished and they're innocent? 
A beleaguered O'Reilly spoke out on his podcast, and the remark is being ridiculed today. <laughs> That's what you're going to say to God, Bill? Why did you work me over? And there's more fallout today over that bombshell New York Times report that O'Reilly paid former Fox News personality Lee Wheel $32 million to settle sexual misconduct claims. John Huddy, the brother of one of O'Reilly's accusers, former Fox host Juliet Huddy, was fired by Fox news as a foreign correspondent based in Jerusalem. His dismissal came the day after his sister spoke out on Megyn Kelly's show on NBC. Are you scared today? I'm terrified. I'm actually terrified and I don't know why I'm about to cry. But Today, Megyn told viewers she believes John Huddy's dismissal was no coincidence. Before the end of our show yesterday, before the nine o'clock hour had concluded, Fox News fired Juliet's brother, John Huddy. A spokesman for Fox News says Huddy's firing had nothing to do with his sister speaking out, saying following a thorough investigation into a physical altercation earlier this month, Fox News made the decision to sever ties with Huddy. Meanwhile, O'Reilly remains defiant. If they win, if they do destroy me, okay. But I'm going to go down fighting and I'm going to go down telling the truth. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, <laughs> so he publishes the truth and it's pretty weak. I, I don't know why he just keep his mouth shut. We have other things to focus on. Don't we Don't we all want to focus on cybersecurity? That's the big threat. It's Cybersecurity Month after all. You know, October is National Cybersecurity Month. I didn't know that. Now yeah. you know this. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know that. Month. I didn't know that. Now you know this. And it's really a good time to focus on online security and personal protection, particularly as the latest cybersecurity breaches from Equifax and Yahoo continue to make headlines. And someone who knows all about this is Barbara Shermatiro. And thank Barbara here is the uh, cybersecurity expert. Thank you so much because you are the IT and cybersecurity professor at Walsh College. So I am. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. I bet students, every time you you start a new classroom, there's almost another story in the news about a big breach. It's been relentless, hasn't it? Apparently, yes, it has. And so a lot of. So this is them. They, they they get into a good conversation. She gives a few good tips about locking down your credit card and stuff like that. So good on her. Same way, let's say that bank robbers or people who steal jewelry or paintings, they will hide it away for a period of time until the heat is off. That's what happens when cyber criminals and hackers, they gather these large amounts of data. They know the company has given you a year or so of credit monitoring. They sit tight on the data. So she definitely hammers that point about protecting your identity. Maybe we just need more FBI cyber units, more cyber units. Talking about cyber attacks, ransomware, the dark web, Connecticut is now stepping up its attack on cybercrime. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so this is like the new war on drugs. So Connecticut is step. So Connecticut's been under too much cyber attack. So Connecticut's going to step up its what now? Web Connecticut is now stepping up its attack on cybercrime. So because there's been too many cyber attacks, they're going to attack cybercrime. You see, it's not a cyber attack because they are attacking cybercrime. You see, the attack comes before the cyber. News 8 anchor Scott McDonald tells us tonight a number of agencies are coming together to form a cyber task force. Oh, really? Yeah. Or to milk taxpayers. Maybe that one. You know. Fishing, ransomware, and that's just the start. Yep. That's been the start for about 30 years now. 
This task force will address the significant increase in the number and the frequency of cyber attacks occurring in Connecticut. So there's been a significant increase, no number, not even a percentage of no number, just a significant increase. I like this. You guys noticed last week? This too, the same thing, vagary when it comes to cyber attack numbers. Significant increase specifically in Connecticut, guys. Connecticut. Because there's been a real specific type of real bad guy attack. An FBI-led Connecticut task force has been formed to combat rampant cyber crime. The FBI is cashing in on cyber like it's the new drug war. In the Glastonbury School District alone, 122 fraudulent tax returns were filed seeking more than half a million dollars in phony refunds. So here's the data. This is why this task force is necessary, because 122 fraudulent tax forms in one district alone, one district alone, guys. It was probably one PC that was hacked and running software, and it was probably an exit node or something. That's why it... You know, they, they, 122, you're going to need agents for every single one of those. No, it's probably one PC. It's one dude in a basement. Fraudulent tax returns were filed, seeking more than half a million dollars in phony refunds. So not even a million dollars. And can you imagine the unbelievable amounts of money they're going to spend on this entire thing? From identity theft to drug distribution rings. These defendants had bought kilogram quantities of fentanyl. Now we're talking about different, this is a different case. Ecstasy and 40,000 pills of Xanax through sources on the dark web. Which doesn't sound like that would be related to Connecticut at all, actually. I, I mean, I, I guess you have, to def- you have to have some sort of level of enforcement. But this all just sounds like a big money grab to me. Just, uh, it's just a horrible one. FBI task force for Connecticut. Give me a break. <laughs> like, the, the this is, this kind of thinking, if this is really legitimate, like, if they're not just trying to grab money, if they actually think they're going to fight cybercrime this way, they are taking a local, regional, district office approach to a worldwide problem. And I'm not sitting here trying to argue that they should have worldwide license to enforce all that they are. But the idea that if you staff up in Connecticut, you're going to reduce cybercrime is so mental. They either are so off on how they're going to fight cybercrime or they are trying to use an established model that has been around, that is baked into their bureaucracy to generate revenue. It reminds me of NPR. NPR has this huge problem um, that is fundamentally disrupting the way they raise revenue. And so they've had to take on a lot more ads, you may have noticed. The problem is their podcasts are successful. (laughs) Their podcasts are successful. (laughs) And so they're screwing over all the affiliates on revenue. The affiliates are all hard up for money. So NPR is being forced to deprioritize a growing aspect of their business that is digital, that is cheaper for them, that doesn't require affiliates, doesn't require all the hassle of all these affiliate agreements, but they have to deprioritize it and keep making a second-class citizen to honor their existing funding model, which is all of these affiliates in your local towns. This is the FBI's problem, too. It's an old model created before the Internet. And now the FBI is going to solve cybercrime by staffing up in Connecticut. <laughs> oh, God. 
Okay, different topic, because I'm just going to be, I could just sit here and rant about that all the time. Let's talk about the Kennedy Files. These are supposed to come out next week, so, I mean, they're supposed to come out on Thursday, so they would be, if anything interesting is in there, in next week's episode. Here's a little background. President Trump will soon release long classified documents on the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. The release of thousands of pages of classified files is expected to be released on Thursday. Analysts expect documents to further fuel what are considered conspiracy theories into JFK's murder. For more on this, we are joined. Yeah, we don't need more. We'll see. We don't need to speculate what they might be. We'll see. I would, I would not really imagine much. Could you, could you picture there's going to be anything, nothing that's going to devastate the CIA or, or anything like that. I want to do one more Cucker Tuckerson because I thought this was, well, this is a well put together piece. We'll watch just a bit of it until we get bored. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. For months, you could hear the word echoing from congressional offices and television studios all over Washington. Russia, Russia, Russia. The very people who spent 70 years making excuses for the Soviet Union were suddenly convinced that Russian agents had visited our shores in the dead of night to murder American democracy and install their puppet in our White House. Trump won because of Vladimir Putin. That was their claim. It seemed confusing to most people, but to our decadent and deeply unimpressive ruling class. Decadent, decadent and deeply unimpressive. It seemed confusing to most people, but to our decadent and deeply unimpressive ruling class. He's having some fun here. The explanation made perfect sense. How else could their candidate, the candidate of both Nancy Pelosi and the Bush family, have lost last November's election? Well, the media assured them that would never happen. In fact, a year ago today, the New York Times ran this prediction, quote, Hillary Clinton has a 93 percent chance to win. And they believed it. When she didn't win, our elites assumed a foreign power must have intervened. No other explanation made sense to them. The only thing they lacked was evidence that it had happened. And so to find that, they told us we needed an immediate all-hands-on-deck investigation of Russian interference. So we got one. Boy, did we. It turned out to be one of the most comprehensive investigations of anything in the history of this country. The FBI kicked it off and was soon joined by a fully staffed Office of Independent Counsel, as well as both houses of Congress. Almost every media outlet in America jumped obediently on board, pouring massive resources into a news story that started to look a lot like a conspiracy theory. But ahead they went. An entire generation of non-Russian-speaking cable news hosts remade themselves into amateur criminologists. Remember that? The frenzy spun out of control. And soon, liberals weren't simply talking about a stolen election, but about war, actual war. Yeah! If Russia is going to keep attacking America, then America really should fight back. There is an entire building in St. Petersburg filled with a Russian troll army, creating thousands of tweets, memes, news site comments, and flat-out fake stories designed not to take sides on any issue, but just to get us fighting about it. Hillary Clinton spent over a billion dollars on the campaign, and the Russians beat her with 150 grand because they were able to turn Facebook into fake book. Man, they really believe this. They really buy all that. Ah, oh, man, it must be feel. If you're Facebook right now, you're like, shit, this, if we can ride this out, this is going to be great for us. Because this basically is the media claiming that our advertising platform is legitimate and it works. 
So you're accusing a nuclear-armed adversary of committing an act of war, and you're doing it purely in order to gain an advantage in a domestic political dispute? No normal person would do that. It's too reckless and crazy. Yet that's exactly what many of our leaders did, including, by the way, sitting members of Congress. They called it war, too. Mass hysteria does not even begin to capture this. We are living in a moment that makes the McCarthy era look reasoned and considered. At least Joe McCarthy was onto something real. There really were Soviet spies. There was no Russian collusion in last year's election. So how are all those investigations going? Well, the New York Times, to its credit, took a look at that this weekend. And it turns out that if the Russians got Trump elected, they left no trace of it. Even Senator Dianne Feinstein of California had to admit that after wasting untold time and money, her committee has not found evidence of collusion between Putin and the Trump campaign. The whole thing is a dry well, a crock, a fraud, a scam, a politically induced hallucination. It's totally nuts. A lot of people should be deeply ashamed of this. Not that they are, of course. But that doesn't mean we haven't learned anything. Robert Mueller's team of of investigators apparently has found evidence of suspected wrongdoing by the Podesta group, which... Now, we'll we'll stop there since we're covering there, but I thought it was a good enough summary. You know, get old Cucker. He's really on the the warpath now. I can kind of understand, I suppose. You know, you start getting just overwhelmed with hearing the same crap over and over and over again. At least I know I do watching the news. After a little bit, you start getting a little righteous about it. Um, there was a moment that made me lull that I wanted to share with you. I will admit this is particularly visual because it is someone throwing a Russian flag at Donald Trump. And I don't know if the Fox News uh, news actors noticed or not, uh, but it was on their feed. So this is going to get really interesting really fast. The president arriving on Capitol Hill, as you just saw, sit down with senators, try to get something done. As you can see, there's the president uh, walking into the lunch right now. Did you see it there? Now, if you go back right there, you can start to see the flag in the bottom. He's walking in with Mitch McConnell, and there's two Russian flags that are thrown at him. You can, you, if you Google image it, you'll see different angles. And then somebody starts freaking out. Try to get something done. As you can see, there's the president uh, walking into the lunch right now uh, with... Mitch McConnell, as you can hear some people yelling some things, keep a, keep the camera on here because this is a huge moment happening on Capitol Hill. Uh, Here's the protester. The, has said his the news actor is totally unaware, really. Goals to get something done by Thanksgiving. So the- why is she talking over him? Is she because she, she doesn't know what to do? So better shut up the slave there. Better make sure he doesn't say anything. The urgency is there. The clock is ticking, David Bossy. Yeah, there you go. So Trump, somebody throws a Russian flag at Trump. <laughs> that's that's good and funny to me. Now uh, I'm going to play bits of this examination of Jeff Sessions by Al Franken. Uh, during the uh, investigation, I think it was six days ago, the hearing of the of the Russian investigation, and Jeff Sessions testified. And when the questioning came from Al Franken, it got it got heated and awkward. And I'm going to try to show it to you in chunks. To be honest with you, Franken's grandstanding here a lot. In fact, he has a five minute lead up question where he just basically lays he just lays uh sessions over and spanks him it's I'll, I'll, let's just get a little taste thank you mr chairman attorney general sessions welcome back uh the last time we spoke i asked you about russian interference in the 2016 presidential election down here there is now absolutely no question 
that the Russians meddled in the election in order, no question. in order to undermine confidence in American democracy. To undermine confidence in American democracy. The same lines he read the last hearing. To damage the campaign of Hillary Clinton and to boost Donald Trump. All right. Oh, man. So let's see here. Let me jump ahead here because he goes on for, uh, let's see, we're now three minutes in. Uh, let's see. Here's uh, let's see, one shot over here. Your answer under oath before this committee was that you, quote, did not have communications with the Russians, period. But on the morning that the... It's about that meeting, so then he keeps on going. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm continuing to fast forward here. Uh, so we're now five minutes in, and Sessions is just watching him. We're now, we're now five, minute, five and a half minutes. Okay, here we go. Five and a half minutes in, Sessions gets to answer, and it's, it's great. Well, let me just say this without hesitation that I conducted no improper cam uh, discussions with Russians at any time regarding a campaign or any other uh, item facing this country. Okay, how uh, do you now I want to say that first. Now, that's been the suggestion that you've raised and others, that it was somehow we had conversations that were improper. May I number suggest one. that? Uh, no, no, no. You had a long time, Senator Franken. <laughs> I'd like to respond. Okay. I think I have a. Uh, well, no, note that Senator Cruz went two minutes over, so oh. I don't want. I, well, they're going to cut me off, and so I want to ask you some questions. I no, I don't, Mr. Chairman. I don't have to sit in here and listen to his. Uh, You're uh, the one who charges without having a chance to respond. This is great. This is. I'm not going to sit here without. Uh, no, I won't do. I, I got to respond. I mean, this is. Listen, he's he's fired up. His. Uh, You're uh, the one who charges without having a chance to respond. Give me a break. Okay, thank you. So he says, "I'll give you his time. It's fine." Go ahead. Take whatever. It's it, it was not a simple question, Senator Franken. I'm sorry. It, it was not a simple question. Uh, the lead-in to your question was very, very troubling. And I, I answered to you uh, in a way that I felt was... So Session starts giving into him a little bit here, giving him a few things. ...elect last week. Starts reading a few prepared statements, and then it goes back over to Franken. Franken asks a bunch of more questions for a while, and he just keeps on going and going and going, and Sessions is getting more and more upset. Yeah. You, you go make a lot of allegations, uh, Senator, and it's hard for me to respond to I'm them not, in the time I'm I've so, got. Can I have a little bit more time? Okay. <laughs> you have said today in response to Senator Leahy that you don't recall whether you talked about the campaign, whether you don't recall whether you talked about issues uh, and Trump's views on issues. So then they go on and on. And of course, he Franken's really using his time. I am 40 minutes ahead here. Minutes, three minutes ahead here. And here, here's about here's here's about th about three minutes forward. Relatively short answer. So he gets to do about 10 minutes uh, uh, well, improperly framing this subject, and I'm given a short no, chance well, to respond. Proceed, please. I don't like Jeff Sessions, but I do like him busting some balls here a little bit. But then we're you, going to you're call spinning on first, first and foremost, Senator Franken. 
Um, what Jeff is really upset about is Al Franken is damaging his brand. You and I have had a good relationship on this committee. I would tell my colleagues, I think most of you know, I've committed myself to high level of public service, to reach the highest standards of ethics and decency in my service, to be honest about things that I say. And so you have now gone through this long talk that I believe is totally unfair to me. It all arose from this question. And there you go. He'll go and he just reads the statement again. I just thought it was just and that's even just half of it, really. It's just you'd have to watch the whole thing and it's slow and tedious. But as far as uh, old guys getting fired up, I don't really think anybody beats John McCain this week. I'm assuming you guys saw this clip of John McCain. Um, and I got to play it for you. I, full full disclosure, not a John McCain fan. I am definitely against the rehabilitation of John McCain and the Democrats embracing John McCain in their war against Donald Trump. Uh, and he's probably the guy that gave the dossier to the, to the FBI. Not a fan. Not a fan. But I do like when people kick the media's ass. I do like that. I'm not interested in confronting the president. I'm interested in working with the president. Thanks very much for your time, sir. I really appreciate it. Senator McCain, just a quick question. Has your relationship with the president break to the point that you are not going to support anything that he comes to you and asks? Why would you say something that stupid? Why would you ask something that dumb? Huh? My job as a United States senator is a senator from Arizona, which I was just reelected to. You mean that I am somehow going to behave in a way that I'm going to block everything because of some personal disagreement? That's a dumb question. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> there are such things as dumb questions as far as John McCain's concerned, and he likes it, too. He's happy with that response. He walks away with a smile on his face. At least the old codger's going to go out making us laugh a little bit. Have a good one, John McCain. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you to our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter for supporting us. I hope you enjoyed the whole dang thing. Did you know you could join us live for 257? Yeah, you did know. All right, I was just reminding you because I love you. All right, thanks for your support. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you next week. That's how we roll. I'm not going to dignify that with an answer. Reclaiming my time.